This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. It's your weekly blitz with Chris, keeping you in the game. Are you ready to supercharge your auto repair business? This is Coach Chris Cotton from AutoFix Auto Shop Coaching. The Weekly Blitz is where industry expertise and business innovation collide, revving your engines for the week ahead. Every episode is loaded with game-changing insights, up-to-the-minute industry updates, and practical tips to shift your business into high gear. We're talking about stuff you didn't even know you didn't know people. Big shout out to our awesome sponsor, Shop Marketing Pros. Top tier marketing for not just any audience, but the right audience. Shop Marketing Pros connects your European auto repair shop with car enthusiasts who value expertise, the auto repair experience, and a great relationship. Go pro with Shop Marketing Pros, your ticket to top tier results. Find out how they can fuel your success at shopmarketingpros.com forward slash Chris. Hey, everybody. I am super excited to have Josh Thin from Unified Automotive here with us today. Josh reached out to me a couple of weeks ago. He's starting his shop, but the more we talked, the more I learned about his background, where he's from. He had a succession plan from his father's shop. That's what we're going to get into today, how that went, good, the bad, and the ugly. So thanks for taking time, Josh. I really appreciate it. I know you're very busy. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So can you give me a little bit of background information about the family business you were in and where you're at now business-wise? Yeah. So basically, I started working as a very young kid in the shop. And when I say we're getting paid a dollar or two an hour, I remember, and just cleaning cabinets and sweeping the floor, which I'm sure I didn't do a great job. I was in there moving around, cleaning stuff. Sometimes I'd get a little mischievous and get off path. But for the most part, I started, I've been in the business in our little town. Gosh, I don't know. I was like eight, seven, somewhere in there, seven, eight, nine, just doing that stuff. And then slowly I progressed through high school and I got to the point where to me, it was normal. Uh, Looking back, it's probably wasn't the best choice, but whether it was sports in high school or hanging out with friends or whatever, I would, my family is a family of workers. I was taught to work. I was taught to work hard. I was taught that money is key. And without money, you're living in a cardboard box. And yes, that's true. But (laughs) I've obviously come to realize that is not the focal point of life. So that's how my childhood was. I still remember to this day, one of my coaches, because I did play hockey, but I got out of it once I got towards high school because one of my coaches was like, hey, this is going to take a lot of time. This is after school. This is weekends. And I'm like, I don't think I want to do this. And I wasn't a great player or anything, but I was good. Good enough anyways, a defensive person. And I was like, you guys aren't paying me. So that was my attitude in high school. I was like, I don't want to hang out or do sports because no one's paying me. So I just worked a lot. And then going into college, I started going to UW-Green Bay, which I'm in northern Wisconsin. So it's a little bit of a trek, two and a half, three hours, somewhere in there. And I was home almost every weekend working at the shop. I would go to college all week and then put between 30 and 40 hours in just from Friday afternoon till Sunday night and then go back Monday morning or Sunday night, depending on how things worked out. But And just to clarify, this is the family shop. This is your father's yeah, shop that yeah, you were working father's in. shop. Okay. This is a shop that my father and his father bought originally. They moved up from Illinois and then they bought that in like 82, one, somewhere in there. So yeah, this, it's been in our history for a while. I have one brother. He worked in the shop as well 
quite a long time, all through high school and into college. But he stuck with the college thing and he became a teacher and then moved more and more away. He still does his own car work for the most part and things that he can do unless he has to bother me if it's electrical or a bigger issue. But yeah, so he's pretty much out of it. He does his own thing. And I don't want to say I felt obligated because I was given the choice to stay in college or go a different route, which of course, everyone hindsight's twenty twenty. you look back and I say, man, I should have been an engineer. I think I would have really liked that. But I do really like working on cars too. But nonetheless, I chose to stop college at Green Bay after a year and then go to technical school up by the shop, which was about a half hour away. And I actually did body shop for a year and then went to mechanical. And then I was just really, once I went into mechanical, I was like, yep, I'm in this for the long haul. And there was always that overhead feeling of, although it wasn't set in stone, every customer who knew us was like, hey, when are you taking over the shop? It was a joke. I'm a kid growing up and 21, 22, whatever, 23. And when are you taking over? I'm like, yeah, someday. And my dad, he'd lead that on, that scenario on. And basically, skip fast forward, I got married, had a child. And it got to the point where I was like, man, go from working 80, 90 hours to 70 hours with a wife to I have a kid and now I'm working 65 hours. And it's really, boy, I really feel differently about this situation. I want to spend more time with my kid. I don't want to do this for the next five, six years, just work 60 and 65 hours and most of the Saturdays because I've done that for a long time already. Oh, what pushed that, that's what kind of pushed what made this all happen because I started looking out sourcing out, talking to people on Facebook, getting into some groups, doing some training. And of course, like the mechanic, I said, well, I'll get smarter at fixing cars. And (laughs) once I started learning that, wow, there's so much more to this, you start talking to people. And of course, the famous saying, you don't know what you don't know. I reached out and found out about coaches. And I found out about all these programs that business shop owners get involved with. And then I got hooked up with the ASOG Mastermind. It was really It's been quite a journey since then, and that was probably two years ago or so. And so one of the things that came out when you and I were talking, and we'll probably get more into it here in a minute, you had just mentioned that you did hockey when you were younger and sports and other things. And one of the things that you told me was that your dad was at the shop most of the time and made very few of those things. Yeah, I do remember him making some of them, but yes, there was definitely, my mom was at well, like all of them, because she had to drive us there. And it was right around that time when I started getting my license that I honestly got out of it. But before that, when I was growing up, when I was in elementary, that sort of thing, way back when I was 10 and 11 and nine-ish, somewhere in there, my dad was a little more involved. He actually sponsored a baseball team. And then the shop got busier. And there was a good chunk where, yeah, it was probably once during the year that he would come to a hockey game or something, which honestly... The way that the kids, my brother and I would look at it is, yeah, he's working. He's got to work so that we can have what we have. And it made sense. It wasn't weird or it wasn't like that. So once I got older, I looked back and I was like, I don't want to be like that. And this is the generational thing where I'm in my 50s. I remember same thing, sports. Now, my dad made all my football games, some of the other stuff he didn't make. But my dad woke up in the morning. He went to work. Then he worked at the second business that we had. And if it was during season, as far as like planting and stuff, he might be on a tractor for eight hours until four o'clock in the morning to come home and sleep for two hours before he did it all again. 
But where I want to go with this is that's their mentality. That's the generation above us. And rather than hiring somebody else to help them out or recognizing that we should have some work-life balance, which work-life balance is a huge thing in the industry right now, along with mental health and everything else, those, most of them are men. So I'm going to use that term. Most men think and thought and men still think that if they just put their head down and work more, work harder, that it'll turn out in their favor. And for shop owners, that's typically not the case. You have to work smarter, not harder. But anyway, I wanted to make sure we got that in before we moved on. Any other thoughts on that? He is a hell of a guy as far as, like you said, putting his head down and working. I don't know how he's done it for so long. Obviously, it took this long to drive me nuts about a year ago. (laughs) I don't know how he does it. Because, yeah, even right now, he's 62. Yeah, he's 62 going on 60. Or he's 63 right now. But even in his late 50s, early 60s, he has the ability to just show up seven days a week and work 70 and 80 and 90 hours. And he just keeps doing it. He just keeps doing it like a bulldozer. And it's amazing. And I kind of understand now that I own my own business, what motivates him to be able to do it as where I had a little harder time. But I was also having the whip cracked on me too. I remember going in. I've been in working plenty of Sundays when it's our season, which we sell snow plows, snow time, winter time is our season. And it's hard to get motivated, even if it is your business, which I do have that always growing up in the back of my mind. I'm his son. It probably will be my business one day. It's what our family looks like. So I want to take care and pride and that sort of thing. But man, seven days a week is just, it's a killer. And then he just keeps pushing through. So it is a part of, like you said, that older mentality, what he was growing up with. And he watched his dad work three different jobs when he was growing up. Yeah, I get it. I just wanted to be more present for my kids was my main goal. And I think that's very admirable. I think that's a good plan. So we're going to move into the succession planning a little bit. What was your motivation for pushing the succession plan? Solely, it was my daughter. My wife, obviously, I love my wife. That was part of the reason too. But once I had my daughter, it was just an eye awakening thing. Anyone who's had their first child knows it really puts a different perspective on your life. No longer are you or your wife number one. It's all about the little girl or the little boy. So when there was nights that daddy's got to work and daddy couldn't see her or say goodnight or whatever. Oh my, it just, it'd kill me. So that, that I had to figure out a way around that. And I knew it would be tough at first, whether I stuck with my father's business, it'd be a lot of changes to make to get to the point where I wanted to be. And I also knew if I started my own, it'd be a lot of changes to get to the point where I wanted to be. But I wanted to start it sooner than later. And My father was more like, nah, let's just see how it goes. And when I get to be 65, I'll probably get out and then you can just take over. And that was kind of his attitude. So I just kept pushing and coming up with building a structure and a plan. And part of that was from reading books like a great one is a good, the E-Myth. It's got some good fundamentals in there. The entrepreneur, the manager, the technician, and some of that very clearly mirrored his situation. And it was like, oh my God, you're stuck in the technician. You tried to be the manager. He tried to hire people when I was younger and he was just turned off by that. It went bad. He was losing money. And that's something where I know I need to step up and be a a better leader because he's, in my opinion, like I've told him because we've gotten to that point. I'm like, you're a boss. You are not a leader. I want to be a leader. And that means we have to make more changes in order to keep employees. One of his longest employees was like six years. But for the most part, 
man, about every two years is his turnover rate or less. Some have come in and left within weeks. <laughs> Others, it takes a year and a half, two years, something like that, and then they get burned out. And that's why I know you've talked about it before, but it's like we just throw them in there. Here you go. Hope you can swim. Good luck. No policies, no procedures, whatever Ed's feeling today and depends on what the customer says. And he doesn't want to offend anybody. He doesn't want to overcharge anybody. When I was more like, no, no, we need to do these things. We need to use a price matrix. We need to lose some of our customer base because we have way too many customers and not enough help. And we can't retain any help. We can't find any help. So it was some of the bigger changes that I wanted to make. Not that I wanted to make them all at once or whatever, but even the shop management system, we were using our O-Rider, which is fine. It's fine. But we've been using it for 20 years and he didn't want to upgrade it. He didn't want to use the DVI stuff. That was a big sticking point that was like, you know what? I need a little more responsibility. You have given me none. I'm coming on 32 years old, 33 years old at the time. And I'm like, I want to see some changes here. And I need a little bit of wiggle room. And so just to make sure, I want to clarify it for everybody that's listening. I think you did a great job of saying it, but I want to say it to make sure they understand. You would learn things from listening to podcasts, being in groups, ideas, tricks to make the business better. Yep. And he pretty much flat out said no to all of that. Yeah, everything but <laughs> everything but one. Some of the price increases he was okay with because we started getting away with it. And <laughs> yeah, and so I'm like, I wrote this to him too. I'm like, listen, because he would tell me, hey, I flexed on some of the prices. I'm like, flexing because you're greedy and you're getting away with it is not why we're doing this. This is not the plan. This isn't how this works. You can't just do that and nothing else. So yeah, that was just like an extra little flick to the nose. <laughs> For the most part, yeah, he was like, I don't want to change. I'm stuck in my ways. And then so you guys had this, he had mentioned it, but it was almost like he was dangling the carrot out someday. That's how and I feel. He says otherwise. It is a tough thing because anyone who's in that spot knows it's like, yeah, you're like the, I don't want to say obstacle, but it's like, you're the one that I'm having the problem with, but you're also my father. And on his side, it's like, you're the one I'm having the problem with, but you're also my son. Yeah, I don't want to say he was dangling a carrot. It certainly felt that way. I know as a child growing up, there was that literal talk of, hey, I got to dangle the carrot in front of you so that I can get this done. So yeah, I'm sure it was happening and not the best health situation. But And one of the things that I see, you can correct me if I was wrong, mm -hmm. one of the things that I see is I don't think we ever had any type of plan on paper, like at this age or when I'm like from his standpoint, when I'm this age, I'm going to give you X amount of the business or I'm going to put you in charge of this or anything like that. Am I correct? We did. And it was only after I pushed for a year. So I put it on paper to try to get him to sign off on it. It never got signed off on. So I came up with a list of basically I said, here's what I want. And this probably because no, he what you're saying is correct, Chris. He had no plan. He did not want to make a plan. I started researching plans and they're like, yeah, three to five years. And I'm like, we're at the three year mark. Let's get this rolling. And I was like, I need a little more responsibility, which means I want 10% ownership to make some changes. I said, I want to change the shop management software that had to be done. And that way we could get some more processes and put a matrix in place and things like that. And then Saturdays was on there. I was like, hey, I don't want to work every Saturday. Let's, how about we do one or two Saturdays a month? maybe split them in half. And there was some cleanup and some standard operating procedures that were just basic ones that 
would be nice instead of throwing like a new service writer in the mix and just being like, there's no rules here. Just everything. Talk to Ed and Ed's got to look over all your work and nothing. No bill can go out. No estimate can go out. Everything's got to go through Ed. And that's including myself. I mean, I've been there for over over 15 years and I could not. He would not let me do that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's the long and short of it. I don't know if that answers your question, but he didn't have any plan. I made one up and then it was never really officially signed or documented because it just kept getting pushed and it pushed out a little bit further. And it it got to the point to where I I could see the procrastination and between talking with my wife and other family members. And I basically drew a line in the sand. That's what it came down to was I have this other shop owner in this town who's got a three-stall shop. He is looking to get out. It's in a decent location. It's a decent shop. The guy who owns it, which wasn't the guy who was running the business, was willing to do a land contract with me. It seemed like a pretty good setup. I was going to get his customer base, some of his tools a little bit here and there. Mind you, I had no tools because I've always worked for my father, so I always used shop tools. And he agreed My father agreed to work with me. I remember the day I went over, basically, you call it whatever you want. There was a list of these three or four demands. And I said, we can do this. I'm willing to work with you if you're willing to work with me on this stuff. Or if you're not willing to work with me, that's fine. That's your choice. I don't have to make you do this, but I am going elsewhere. I am going to go to this shop over here. And so that day he agreed. And mind you, these are like three hour long conversations we're having either on the phone or in person. And he agreed to it. And then shortly thereafter, after I had told that shop, no, I'm going to try to stay with my father and work it out. That shop was then gone because he sold the owner, sold it to someone else. And it's still that other person's to this day. He backed out on it and would not sign anything. So that was a big turning point for me to really help push me over where I needed to go, which was make the move. Because of course, I did have it good. Don't get me wrong. It was a miserable place for me to go to work. I got paid good. I got a steady check. I stayed signed in for lunches, which were 15 minutes. I had a gas card. Not that I drove very far. I only lived like four miles from work. But don't get me wrong. I had it decently good. But the conditions of going to work with that man were just horrible. I hated going to work probably two thirds and or three quarters of the time as it got closer to the end. It was just mostly miserable. So that's what led up to everything. So how did it all fall apart? After, like I say, he backed out on what we had talked about and I let that other shop slip by, in my head made the choice. And with my wife, I made the choice to be like, this is going to suck, but I got to move away. I'm going to have to do my own thing. So I slowly started in the background working on my own. Okay. I got a garage. I got a detached garage. I started working with a couple of people around town to secure a commercial location, something that was like right on the main beat, something that would be great for just visually paint it red and really stick out and be like, whoa, new shop. Unfortunately, they fell through. I'm in a small town. I don't have a ton of options. There's a couple places that aren't on the main drag, but they're just almost ruined. They need a lot of work to be brought up and they're not fantastic. It's like a two stall, three stall situation. So I have a four stall garage detached from my house. And at the time I was in the ASOG mastermind group. And a lot of those guys were like, Hey man, you just need to start in your garage. You just need to start in your garage. And I was opposed to it. Cause I'm like, I don't want to be at my house. I don't want to be at my house. I still don't want to be at my house, but it was the smartest thing to do as far as what's going to look the nicest, what's going to represent the kind of customer that I want and the kind of business that I want and what's going to be the quickest to get me out of my father's shop. So that was my 
best plan B uh, was to go into my garage. So I started, I had to insulate it. I had to finish it off. I built this garage like I built it, everything but the concrete four years ago, just in for my own little garage to just put vehicles in and or toys or whatever, do my little hobby in there. And of course, that's not what I'm using it for now. But so I had to finish it off, heat it, get some water uh, to it, that sort of thing, and barely got that done before winter. And yeah, once I got to, gosh, it was like the beginning of December, I think I gave Ed my two weeks. At that time, I was probably only a couple weeks out from starting, like actually doing work in the business. So I had some paperwork. Of course, there's whether I'm dealing with the accountant, making the actual business and registering it and getting it set up with the feds and getting my insurance in line and anything like that, gathering a list of tools that I needed and installing. I had to, I bought used racks and I installed them and I bought a skid steer to save my back, which has been awesome. It's an old turd of a case skid steer, but it works. And thank goodness I had it because I already did a motor job. So it was super handy for that. But putting up lifts, it worked great. So yeah, I just started working out here every day after work, after the kids went to bed, I would go to work in the garage to try to make it what I wanted it. And once I got it to a point where I was close enough, I told Ed, here's my two weeks and I'm out. And just to back up just a little bit, one of the things that you had told me is during the succession planning, while you're trying to take ownership of the business, I don't know a better term, but he threw it in your face that you didn't want to work Saturdays because your family and some other stuff. And he determined that you lacked motivation or whatever because you weren't working in the business more and you're spending more time with your family. Is that way that you said like dangling a carrot, he wouldn't say it exactly like that. Like he didn't blatantly say you're not working as much because you're with your family. Because I think even he knows that would be a a dickish thing to say if I can say that on the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) He would just say in front of to customers and stuff because when the car work wasn't done and the customer's looking for an answer, he'd be like, Josh isn't working as much as he used to. And some of the guys don't want to work Saturdays. And he'd say stuff like that. So it was a lot of little comments all the time. That is honestly, that's what made the workplace really toxic was so many little jabs. There are a ton, just a ton. He made sure you were bleeding more often than not, (laughs) slightly, just a little bit to be uncomfortable. And so you've moved into this building, you're on your own. So obviously you're not there. Where are you at with your father now? He, after I told him I was leaving two weeks and I was very upfront with him, which I, given all the little intricate details to our conversations and some of the things that were said, we both spoke negatively to each other a time or two, for sure. I was no angel and neither was he. Do I feel he was worse? Yes. Does he feel I was worse? Probably. At the end of the day, after the two weeks were given, Some of the tension was released and we talked in the shop. I showed up one morning and he wanted to talk to me and we talked for like 40 minutes or something. And we were okay. We were okay. He was like, I know you're not going to have a tire machine right away. You're not going to have a welder right away. If you do want to borrow it once in a while or come here to do a set of tires or something, let me know. I'm sure we can work something out. If you wanted to, if you're slow and I've got too much work and you want to come in as a contractor or subcontractor or whatever, you could probably work that out too somehow, some way. So that's kind of how we left it. And I would say I'd call him sometimes moody. This probably goes a month and a half into business where he's not talked to me. I did reach out to him about a month after I left and said, hey, happy birthday. It was his birthday. I wanted to let him know that 
myself and the kids were going to be at the grandparents' house for a little bit if he wanted to see the kids. And he never got back to me and it was fine. He came for my daughter's birthday, which we had at our house and he came. We didn't talk, but he showed up and spent a little time with the kids, which was good. And then this is probably, I don't know, he didn't talk to me after that. And then once in a while, he'd drop gifts off for the kids, like just drop them on the front porch, which we would text them. My wife or I would text him and be like, it's so weird. Stop doing that. Just come inside and give the gifts to the kids. And he wouldn't do that, which whatever, that's his choice. And then it led to one day, this is probably two weeks ago, I had done one of his fleets that I worked on a lot, but he had for a long time, a local heating company. They had me work on one of their cars and I did oil change and a couple other things to it. And my sticker was on the car, of course. So Ed went there because he thought he was supposed to pick it up for an oil change or maybe they called and were mistaken because I did it. But either way, he saw my oil change sticker on the window and that kind of sent him off in a tizzy. And if you ask, well, how do you know that? I know that because the guy I used to work with was still with Ed at the time. And he texted me and was like, I just so you know, Ed saw your oil change sticker and he's not too pleased about it. And it happened to be that same day that in the morning I dropped donuts off at his shop for the guy I used to work with which of course anyone was welcome to him. And I told him that, but I dropped donuts off. I, I really liked the guy that I work with. His name was Andrew, but he's moving down to Missouri. But anyways, I really liked him. He's a great coworker, good dude, super positive, really happy to have worked with him for a little under two years that I did. And I dropped the donuts off. He saw the sticker. And later that day, I got a text that was just like, no, nope, we're done. You're my competitor. I'm not talking to you anymore. Blocking you on my phone. And that was, that's been that since then. So I'm not going to say he's bipolar. He's never been diagnosed, but is it possible? I'll leave that up to you to decide. <laughs> there you yeah, go. sorry. I had myself <laughs> muted. I've been saying this for several years and I stand by this. 53% of shop owners are either autistic, ADD, ADHD, could be bipolar, or they're on the spectrum at some level. That's why they do what they do. That's why they yeah. work on vehicles. With all of this in mind, do you have any advice for families that are working together in a small shop? I do feel like my father, the man that I was trying to work things out with. And maybe it's just because I haven't had any other fathers as far as growing up with. I do in my life. Don't get me wrong. If they do listen to this, I have other like a father-in-law and an uncle and that sort of thing that are awesome. But I would say he's just one of the toughest men that I know, regardless of being my father. He's one of the most all or none, stubborn, bullheaded. And I know that a lot of people have thought that and said that about their fathers or other men in general, depending on the relationship or situation, but he's got to be up there. And if you're working with one of those people, it's hard. It's hard because you'll be pushed more than if it was just like, like Chris, if I was just working with you, I'm not going to let you push me quite as far as I'm going to let a brother or a father push me because they're blood. Not that you're not a great guy. You are. You seem like a great guy, <laughs> but it's just the fact of the matter. Blood is supposed to be blood. It's supposed to be thicker than water. And it, it was hard to know when to draw the line. So all I can say to someone in that situation is just keep your eye on the procrastination. And is anything, is there any changes? I was really trying to fish around for him to make some change to give in somewhere so that I could see him flex something somewhere in the business or in himself. Be like, hey, I am going to take Friday off and go away with my girlfriend and go to whatever, to the Dells, to wherever, go on a little mini vacation, which he hardly, like we could talk about that. That's a whole nother story is vacations. But I saw no change in that, no change in the attitude. It always, we'd have a talk or we'd have a discussion 
or we'd write each other letters. It would get better like immediately for a little bit and always revert back to the same old, always. So if that's happening, if you're in that cycle, I would think there's a pretty good chance things are not going to turn out and you should bail. Those were my like key point indicators that after a while of just seeing that pattern. It's, I hate to do this, but I think I have to cut and get out. So that was the real indication to me. Otherwise, if you see movement, I would say you're definitely going to need to use your patience and try to foster that relationship along. And definitely I was trying to see things because I talked to people and you want to try to see it from their way, but I just, God, I tried to see it from his way and I couldn't, I, he would never change and I couldn't wrap my head around working so many hours and not changing anything to make it better for everyone. And it's not like I just wanted better for myself. I told them many times, I was like, I want this better for you. You shouldn't work as much. You're getting to be 62, 63. There's more to life than this. You've got hobbies, but you never do them. And his identity is the business. So of course, that was a whole other thing. And then our employees' lives. I wanted less turnover. I wanted a place that was more of a career, not just showing up, punching in and that's it. We don't talk outside of work. Hey, looking back, is there anything that you think that you could have done differently to make this play out? Yeah. The only thing I could have done, in my opinion, seeing everything now, knowing my father, knowing the situation, I would have had to roll over and just given in. I would have just had to do what he wanted, which was just keep working in the back until I'm 65. And then we'll discuss a buyout and that's it. So that's what I would have had to have done. And some people have done that because I've talked to people who were in the family business who just waited and waited. And my concern was that he was in my head. It's like, hey, you lied about one thing. What makes me think you're going to actually get out when you're 65? So that was always in my head. And I just couldn't trust that with looking at my daughter's face and then having, I had a second child. So I have a little boy too, 10 months ago. So it's now or never, we need to get this moving. I already feel behind the ball and I'm like, I gotta get going. Just make sure you're doing your own research and you're not being ignorant. I tried really hard, but there's so much information out there. I can't possibly absorb it all. I'm still continually reading books. I was totally the guy that was like my father that had my head stuck in the sand and I was just pushing forward because the more work you get done, the more you'll get out of the situation. It's like, man, you need to just stop, look around and realize that you don't know much about it. <laughs> this, this, the so, there, there's so much to learn. So you're new in the business. Like it's the end of February, 1st of March. You've been open since December. I think you pulled a lot of information from a lot of places, but can you go down the line each one? You mentioned the ASOG group. Can you talk about <laughs> some of the ones that have been most influential for you? The ASOG group was most influential, guaranteed. First started, like I said before, this first started with me just looking into how to be a better tech because, of course, that was how I was going to fix it. That was eye-opening as well. I thought I was, oh, yeah, I'm a great technician. I'm an A-tech. No problem. I can do it all. And then you get into the groups and you get into, oh, what's CTI training? Oh, what's ATG training? Oh, what's Vision? Oh, what's AST? What's Super Saturday? What are these things? Oh, man, look at these articles in Motor Age. They've actually got really knowledgeable people publishing these things and whatnot. And so it was, it was eye-opening. It was like, ah, I thought I was here. I might be a little bit lower or a lot. So there's a lot to learn there. And once I got into those groups, there was the talk of, hey, there is the business side of this too. There is these people that know these people. And before you know it, Lucas Underwood's face and he listened to their podcast. And then of course, there's other podcasts involved with that. And for instance, like Chris, your podcast, I didn't know about it until I had already listened all the way through 
the ASOG podcast, which is now changing the industry. But back when I started, it was the ASOG and I listened to Sean Tipping's podcast and it was like, man, they'd get name drops here and there and you'd go check them out. And that led to the aftermarket radio. It led to shop marketing pros. It led to so many different avenues of the business, the technology, the marketing, all of that. Needless to say, there's a lot that everyone doesn't know, but I know there was a lot that I didn't know. And the more that I learned, the more that we kind of butted heads. So it really didn't help the situation because like he would call me brainwashed. I was brainwashed from the internet and brainwashed from the podcast. (laughs) So yeah, it didn't help as far as our succession plan or anything, but it helped me for sure. The the good news is there's a lot of resources out there for people that are in your situation that are mm-hmm. wanting to start. And I'm glad you mentioned the Shop Marketing Pros group. We're going to give them a little shout out to the Facebook group. They have a private Facebook group. The link is in all of the show notes, but you built your own website and did some other stuff. What kind of help have you gotten from that group and how they have been Yeah, out? first of all, this even goes back to when I was in the ASOG group, which was a mastermind group by Scott Palava, who started it, and Adam Rath, who runs it. And there's other good names in there. I'm not mentioning them all, but there's other good names in there. And in that group, they have people who come in and they'll take one of the evenings on one of our meetings and they'll spend an hour or hour and a half or whatever, just talking about whatever the topic is. And there was a night that Brian Walker came in and he was you know, obviously from Shop Marketing Pros. And he he talked about marketing, whether you were doing guerrilla marketing, Google ads, TV ads, whatever it was. It was not super, hey, I've got a 30-bay shop and I've been running this thing for 20 years. It wasn't that kind of marketing. It was more, I've got a two-stall to 10-stall. I'm a little bit newer kind of marketing. And, and it was very great. It was very helpful. So that's how I was introduced to him. And then later on, now that I had my own business, I needed to do a website. And of course, funds wise, I'm low on funds. So I wanted to do it myself. And yeah, I reached out to the group and Kim and Brian are both very vigilant in the group. They'll pretty much respond to everything I think in there and all within a timely manner, as well as others, no moderators of the group and other people with a bunch of knowledge to share. Asking questions in there was... Good. So far, I think I've asked really basic, I don't want to say stupid questions, but I'm sure they've been asked before. And no one pulled a, uh, now granted, keep in mind, I don't know this guy, but some people do and they'll know what I'm saying. No one pulled a Matthew Skundrich on me and jumped down my throat and (laughs) was like, look it up. None of that. So they were, everyone was super kind and I got my website done and they looked that over and there's feedback on it. So yeah, it's definitely that group has been helpful. If you can't afford to pay for their services, which I'm not at that point yet, it's been a helpful group for sure. But there is other groups too that are helpful as well, but theirs is certainly one of them. There's tons of resources in the industry. Like just go out, start Google searching wherever you're at, whatever you're looking for. You will come across stuff. And and that's the big thing between when I owned my shop, I owned my shop in the early internet ages and none of this information was out there. But just like YouTube and everything else, there's more information today about owning and operating an auto repair shop than there was yesterday. And tomorrow, there'll even be more content about owning and operating an auto repair shop and the auto repair business than there was today. It'll be ever growing. So do you have any final thoughts, anything that we didn't cover that you want to talk about real quick? Not really as far as what I'd want to cover that we didn't. The one thing I'll say is it all kind of started with my frustration building and building. So When you're pushed that far and you get so frustrated, you don't know what to do. What I did, I wrote some lengthy paragraphs on Facebook to, I forget what groups they were. It was an automotive group 
I think it was the ASA group on Facebook, I believe, that I just wrote this in. But they basically just described my situation and how frustrated I was and how I didn't know what to do. And going out of my safe zone and doing that because I'm not like a social media person and I would never reach out online for help. It felt pathetic in a way, but also relieving in a way. And once I did it, it was just like the feedback I got was like, ah, they're just other people. Yeah, I'm sure there's other people out there that are trying to bring you down or give their two cents because you can't see them face to face or whatever. And they're negative. But one of the guys that reached out to me, Benji Burris, I don't know that he's in the mastermind group anymore, but he reached out to me. He's like, if you need help, you should maybe really get to talk to you know, Adam Rath or Scott Palava. And one name just led to the next. So if, if you're hesitant on reaching out or looking around or asking, I got to say, you, you just got to do that. Well, that's what started it for me. You just have to reach out. It's so easy nowadays. Go on your computer and just write a, I don't want to say heartfelt paragraph, but I wrote some real frustrations in there. It was very what I was feeling. And people replied and that's how it started. It really led me in the right direction. Granted, some of those choices you have to make, but yeah, that's what I would say all in all. Get it going and get other people's perspectives and it's very helpful. So I realized that I was in a bubble for a lot of my life and I realized once getting other people's perspectives, ooh, I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know a lot. <laughs> Shoot. And we got together because I guess you went out, heard the podcast, reached out to me through my website. Yeah. And we had a session together. And I completely realized that you're at where you're at. And we gave you some ideas to execute moving forward. And you're off and running. Thanks so much for your time, Josh. I'm really... Thank you for um, having me on. First podcast. It was great. Ah, there you go. First one. So that's awesome. Thanks so much, (laughs) Josh. And here's to your success moving forward. And I hope your business turns out to be everything you want it to be. Thank you. A big shout out to our listeners. Your dedication to growth fuels our passion. And let's not forget our fantastic sponsor, Shop Marketing Pros, who makes this show possible free to you. Where quality meets visibility, Shop Marketing Pros ensures your European auto repair shop stands out in a crowded market. Until next time, this is Coach Chris Cotton signing off. It's time to rise and grind, everybody. You've been listening to the Weekly Blitz with Coach Chris Cotton on the aftermarketradionetwork.com. Follow Chris on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Chris is all for advancing the aftermarket.